0: So they thought that i did a drug deal and they pulled us over is anybody on felony probation or parole well i'm on felony probation for that armed robbery immediately they tell me i need to get out of the car well i had stashed this needle between my butt cheeks when i tried oxycontin for the first time what i tell people was it was the first time that i felt okay and so i called him back and he said i need you to listen to me and i was like i'm listening i was walking up the steps to my apartment and he says god gave me a vision and you were in this vision.
1: I just got chills when you said that. This is
0: where I'm at with like my addiction. Like I was so arrogant. I was like, you're not gonna catch me today, but part of my language, fuck you.
1: Hello, hello everybody. And welcome back to another episode of Pink Pill. I am your host, Jamie Lynn, and I am so excited to introduce my next guest today, Mr. Tony Hoffman. Welcome to Pink Pill.
0: Thanks for having me
1: so i I have been bugging Tony to come on the show for a hot minute, but you are so busy you're traveling all over the world. You are a public speaker. You have so much going on. but I also we also went to high school together. Yes. I don't think I've actually ever hung out with anybody after high school. I think you're like the first
0: one (laughs) well not to mention we've never actually sat down and have a conversation we really haven't we've been acquaintances we've had friends Uh, i knew some of your friends Um, how did we start
1: connecting like after because we didn't really connect till like way after high school
0: you were out here in vegas yeah i think you were doing maybe uh the clinical stuff yes um you had actually reached out to me i think you saw maybe kind of what i was doing with the speaking and you wanted to kind of build your own platform as well yeah and i think it was the first time we actually had A conversation. Um, Otherwise, uh, I would know nothing about you, other than maybe what I mustered up in my own mind, which would be nothing other than an assumption. So, which
1: (laughs) makes curious what
0: those are. (laughs) uh, Which would be cool because that'll make this cool because. uh, You know
1: what? I gotta, I gotta tell you, you were a big part of my journey, believe it or not, because, um, and it's part of the reason I wanted to have you on. I felt pulled to reach out to you. And we're both we're both uh, you know people of faith. We both very have a very strong you know sense of God and and really try to put that first in our life. And sure. I really felt the need to connect to you. So I just randomly said, I remember I was at my desk, and I was doing um, I was working for a nonprofit and I was doing therapy, but I wasn't really like happy with it. And I loved what you were doing, and I was like, hi, I just want to pick his brain. And you ended up calling me. You actually I know you're so busy, but you took the time to actually call me. And I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna make this money. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I don't know how I'm gonna. Do this. And you're like, you could do this, and you could do this. And he goes, you just need to quit. And I quit that day. I don't know if I told you that, but I gave my two week notice right after our phone
0: call. You did not tell me that.
1: I did, and I said, "Fuck it, that's my sign." Yeah. And I and then I went full into private practice. And
0: how has that worked out?
1: Um, it's great. I'm ready for the next step. So maybe we need another phone call. Or. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A little pick up. And that's why you're here. You can. Yes, that's yes. why you're really here, Tony. Yes, I think it might be interviewing her.
1: <laughs> no, but that was – I, I really appreciate that, you know, because I think uh, people show up right when you need them. And you were gracious enough to bless me with that. Um, I want my viewers to get to know you a little bit, though. We went to high school together, and we didn't really have that much of a relationship. But, you know, your, your story is – pretty incredible you actually you know were a a drug addict Mm -hmm. and i can you kind of talk about that a little bit and
0: the drug addiction part
1: maybe the drug addiction part when did that start for you
0: late compared to what most people nowadays uh, i was 18 and it started with the simple stuff you know smoking weed Mm -hmm. but i think the most important thing that i try to explain to people is the before that Mm. right like i It was dark long before I ever picked up a first drug and found relief from it, right? Like I had strong suicidal ideation starting in middle school, a very confused individual with like what I was feeling about um, my emotions, uh, what those emotions meant, and trying to find my place with all of these kids in a system where we grew up that I didn't really feel like I fit into. Um, You know, we grew up in a very conservative town, And I didn't really feel like a lot of the values that I was around were really kind of who I was. And so that just kind of really made this cycle of self-hatred just continue to spin. It's like, I don't fit in here. I don't like the way I feel. Um, Everybody kind of gives me the attention around my athletic gifts that I don't like. And the big struggle with that was the only peace I ever felt was when I was playing a sport. And so there was like this peace component of me being able to participate in my gift, but also this hatred component of my gift because I don't want you to tell me I'm special. I don't want you to treat me like I'm better than anybody else. The only reason I'm actually doing this is because I don't know how to find peace any other way. And so for many years, most people would have thought that, hey, he's fine. I mean, I was on the cover of a magazine our senior year in high school. I was sponsored by companies that didn't sponsor amateur athletes. You were huge. Yeah, I was doing well. I wasn't that guy, but I was on my way to being in a position where I could be that guy. Um, And there was a lot of signs to say that I was on my way to get there. But there was that internal thing, right? And then my idea at life at that time was making money. Um, I had social anxiety, still have social anxiety, like really bad. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that, which is kind of weird because I'm a public speaker, right? Wow. But I'm when I'm speaking, I'm in control. Mm. People, uh, you know, they say the number one fear in, in the world is public speaking. They do, right? yeah. But people don't realize that when I public speak, I'm in control, mm. right? I'm gonna tell you my story. I've done it enough that I know how people are gonna respond and I know what I'm talking about and I know what's gonna happen. Whereas in a social environment, I don't know what's gonna happen and that's where I'm most anxious, right? And so I have this social anxiety and I use this social anxiety as a way to kind of garner this computer thing that I was doing, was learning how to build corporate computer networks at my house. And a lot of people don't know that BMX racers don't make money. It's Mm -hmm. like not a sport that you make money. It's like track and field. Most people think- We should
1: say that that's the sport too. I don't think we've named BMX. Yeah, BMX racing is the sport.
0: Um, I left team sports in middle school. And I got involved in action sports, found my calling in BMX racing, and there's no money in it, though. Five, ten thousand dollars 10000 a year is what a guy's wow, going
1: to make. Wow, that's like nothing.
0: Right. Well, most people don't know that track and field is the same way. Yeah. Unless you're Usain Bolt, Lolo Jones, or Allison Felix, <laughs> um, you don't make money. Wow. Right? They're your parents that have money fund you to travel around to get to these races that can qualify you for something like the Olympics. Well, BMX racing is very similar. And so I chased after... Uh, the idea that I was gonna use computer networking as a way to make money. And I took this job down in San Diego to go work for a guy that was entrepreneur of the year of California at 23 years old. He was starting a tech company, my aunt knew his wife. And when I did this, I put my uh, gift away, which was racing my bike. And that was kind of the only thing that was bringing me peace at any moment was if I had a helmet on and was racing, So when I didn't have a helmet on anymore, it was like, well, I got to start connecting with people somehow because sitting at home, I couldn't do. I wasn't able to sit with myself and be at peace because I was just at war with me. Well, everybody was partying our senior year.
1: Yeah.
0: Started smoking weed and that really wasn't my thing. Drinking wasn't my thing because by the time I got drunk, I I was puking before I even got drunk. And then I was introduced to an opioid. Oxycontin, and that was...
1: Oxy was huge. Yeah,
0: huge. And still, the people that started at that time, many are either dying or still struggling with addiction. But when I tried Oxycontin for the first time, what I tell people was it was the first time that I felt okay Mm. and that I could be with myself, right? Like, you could tell me you hated me, no big deal. Um, There was no anxiety. There was no depression. There was no self-hatred. I finally felt a form of peace that I had never felt in my life. And so there was no, I'm going to commit robberies. There was no, I'm going to sell drugs. There was no, I'm going to commit crimes. It was, I'm just going to use this because this is the way that I'm going to create safety within myself. And it was the only thing at that time that I'd ever found that worked. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. Mm -hmm. Was 18, Oxycontin, and then I moved to San Diego. That didn't work out um and so i came back six months later jeff simonian had died in a car accident
1: oh my god i remember that and that was like my only real
0: friend that i had you guys were
1: super close we were
0: yeah like inseparable to some degree right and like we were two young men growing up trying to become men Mm -hmm. and experience different parts of life and he was supposed to move to san diego we were going to get an apartment together um, me being a very closed-off or private individual to some degree, he was the only person that I had, like, been vulnerable with and shared mm-hmm. things with. So then when he passed away, it really just added to more of the confusion and the emotions and the and, and the struggle that I was having within myself. And so when I came back, that's when uh, I got in the car and I just punched it, you know, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I have a very, like, vivid memory of you. Um, and I don't know why this always stuck out in my mind. But... Um, you were over, actually, at my ex-boyfriend's house. And I can't remember if this was out of high school or in high school, but he was a drug dealer at the time. And he was selling to you. And But he, you weren't his typical client. He like It was like your first kind of time, I think, there because I hadn't really seen you there before. Mm-hmm. And I remember you had long hair. It was like shaggy hair, and you had a big white truck. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I remember this stuff, you know. Mm. Yeah and um and i remember seeing you on the couch and you were gone. Mm. You were so gone and i tried to talk to you and you were gone. Yeah. And i was just like i just my heart went out for you. I wasn't messing with any of that stuff. I was around it but wasn't doing any of it. Um and i just like to to see to see that version of you and to see where you are now is nothing short of a miracle.
0: Yeah, most people don't – there's not many people that have ever seen me in that condition, yeah. right? Most of them are dead now. Um, sixteen people that we were in the same school district with that I would have been around have died from drug overdose oh since Oh, my God, really? Yeah, sixteen. So most of the people oh. that have any way to kind of have a testimony of, yeah, I've seen this guy in a hotel room or I've seen this guy on a couch or, you know, uh, Thomas Moore, can tell you that I slept in Henry Rudino's parents' <laughs> pantry. Oh my god, Henry. You're
1: bringing up all these names right now. Oh my god.
0: I slept in in this guy's pantry for three days straight. Really? Coming off a meth binge. I'd been up for a week. Wow. And uh, Henry was nice enough to let me use his parents' pantry. And Timo would come in and be like, Yo, this guy is still asleep Mm -hmm. in your parents' pantry. Um, And when you saw me, opioids were probably the only thing that I was dabbling with. Yeah, I'm pretty
1: sure that's what it was. I think he sold you oxys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's um, and I I think I know who you're talking about now. And I didn't spend much time around that. Usually I had my own connections and I most likely would have not been able to get my own. And so I ended Mm -hmm. up over there just doing what I could to to get these these pills that at that point I needed. Otherwise, I would be going through pretty heavy uh, opioid Mm -hmm. withdrawals, which were terrifying.
1: So, like, how how long were you in? Like, the the addiction led to some criminal offenses, right? And it eventually landed you in in prison. Mm-hmm. And the, you had a life like. Tell me, tell me, kind of what happened there, and some of your. I don't know how much you feel comfortable sharing. I, I'm an but, open book. There's okay. there,
0: there's no boundaries with me. Like, I've just I, I've
1: seen you speak about it here and there, and I just. I couldn't imagine. I yeah. couldn't imagine how scared you must have been. But you were you a person of faith before you went into prison, or did no, you?
0: No, I never was. Okay. Um, I, obviously, there was, you know, looking back on it, there was something I felt was there. Mm-hmm. I would deny that feeling, and I would use, you know, my own justifications for why it wasn't real, which was really just me trying to co-sign that I could just go do whatever I wanted, um, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a phone. I got a phone call. In 2005, from a friend, Adam, and he had moved to San Diego and, and gave his life to Christ, and he called me and said that I was pulling up to my apartment, I'll never forget this, I was pulling up to my apartment with my girlfriend at the time, and my phone rang, I didn't answer it, he, he left a message, and he was like crying in this voicemail, and that was what made me think, I think I need to call this guy, because I've never seen this guy cry. This is somebody that I've seen beat people up, party, not a person that would share emotions like this over a phone call. And so I called him back and he said, I need you to listen to me. Mm. And I was like, I'm listening. I was walking up the steps to my apartment and he says, uh, God gave me a vision. And you were in this vision.
1: I just got chills when you said that. This
0: is the God honest truth. Every what you're about to tell you is God honest truth. He says, God gave you a vision, and you were in this vision. You were going to get three significant chances. And if you don't stop doing what you're doing before these chances take place, you're going to go to prison.
1: Oh, my God, Tony. Like, my heart is just like.
0: And I'm like, bro, I'm back on these pills. I can't just stop. You know how it is. And he was like, bro, you have to stop. And, you know, the the, the drug-addicted mind of myself says, well, did you see how long I'm supposed to go to prison for? Yeah. like let me weigh out how this. i'm gonna is weigh the real, pros and cons play, yeah, right. well, maybe this is something that's actually not that big of a deal right like am are I we talking like for,
1: overnight yeah or? Like,
0: is this a long time because maybe i should stop if you're seeing me do like 15 years because i don't want to go do that
1: Yeah, um, but two months all right yeah and he
0: and then the next thing he says is they're watching your house how would i know this and i was like
1: Oh okay, this God. is
0: weird. You know the SWAT team raided my apartment. A I, week later, what? well, the magic, well, the what, magic team, which in Fresno, do you know is, my dad uh,
1: was on magic? No, my dad was on magic.
0: Did he? Was he at my apartment? He wasn't
1: part of the raid, no, but he was on magic. You know one of the I cool knew about it.
0: about this? Um, they started listening to my podcast when I got out.
1: Really? Yes,
0: and somebody got pulled over, and was like, uh, they s- said something, and they. Connected me and they're like we love that guy's podcast because wow. I you know in my podcast I talk about all the crazy yeah. stuff Right how things worked and and what was happening. Well, they don't find anything mm-hmm. They actually what happened was and I wrote about this in my book was I was leaving the apartment to go pick up pills mm-hmm. and as I'm leaving I see this magic car because they had a magic sticker mm-hmm. on the back windows and I told the guy that I was with I was like yo, bro Do you have anything on you? And he's like, I have a half a pill. Why? And I was like, take it right now because that magic car is in here for me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, bro, there's no gang members in here, which means they're in here to watch me. I just got out of county jail for an armed robbery charge. My parents spent a boatload of money to get one of the best attorneys in town who basically kept me out of prison. Mm -hmm. I've committed armed robbery and didn't spend a day in prison um, initially. I got Mm -hmm. felony probation Mm -hmm. and didn't tell anybody. So I knew like this, they're in here for me. As soon as we drove by him, a cop comes running out to go back into the car. I was like, bro, swallow it right now. As soon as we turned around, there was like 13 of them coming and they raided my apartment, I was actually on my way to go pick up pills. If they would've just waited another two hours, they would've got everything they needed, they would've violated my probation, I would've went to prison for 10 years. But that's not what happened. And when they cops spend that type of money, it's not cheap to go raid yeah. somebody's house. A judge has to sign off. Plus, pretty... they're blowing
1: their cover as yeah, well. Yeah. Now they've like raised the alarm that they're watching you.
0: Yeah. So some time goes by, and my life spins out of control. I mean, I was stabbed three times in a drug deal. Ended up in ICU. I um. was homeless for six months. As soon as I became homeless, it was right at the time where God was going to start packaging up my story and you know getting me to surrender. In November of 2006, uh, I was pulled over three times in four days.
1: Wow.
0: The first time I was pulled over, I was going to meet my girlfriend at the time at a 7-Eleven on Clovis Avenue in Belmont. Wow. Southeast Fresno.
1: Yeah, deep. And
0: deep, and com- compared to where we grew mm-hmm. up. And she called and said when I was inside 7-Eleven, I can't meet you over there. I need you to meet me at Sean Blackstone. Mm. So I went right back out after going into 7-Eleven. I jumped back in the truck with these two guys I was with. Well, there were cops staking out the apartments across the street from the car wash. So they thought that I did a drug deal, and they pulled us over. Is anybody on felony probation or parole? Well, I'm on felony probation for that armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Immediately, they tell me I need to get out of the car. Well, I had stashed this needle between my butt cheeks. Oh
1: my God. So
0: I get out of the car, right? And they're searching me and I got a needle between my ass and they don't find anything. They put me in the back of this cop car. And oh my like, God. this is where I'm at with like my addiction. Like I was so arrogant. I was like, you're not gonna catch me today, but part of my language, fuck you. So I took this <gasps> needle out of my, my my ass cheeks and I just threw it up. To no! The front. Yeah, I just threw it up to the front to kind of say, you know, fuck you. So they come back to the car and they're like, we know you're buying meth off of this guy over here. And I'm like, I am not on meth. I'm not smoking meth. I was like, look at my eyes. I'm a heroin addict. At This time I'm using heroin. And I was like, look at my eyes, I'm I'm pinpoint. And they're like, okay. So they end up letting me go. Ah. The next night, it's Thanksgiving night. I'm with this guy and I just, we gotta go to um, like Palm and Olive area. Like mm-hmm. deep, deep mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And I say, Did you fix your taillight? And he goes, Yeah, why? And I said, Because on this side of town, bro, they'll
1: pull you over. You don't
0: get pulled over for anything other than your license plate, your tags, your window tent, mm-hmm. et cetera. They'll use any excuse mm-hmm. to pull you over, right? He says, Yeah, I got it fixed. We pick up 64 Oxycontins that night. And uh, at that point, like, I couldn't go more than an hour without using. So I get these pills wow. and I go back into this laundromat and i'm shooting dope laying down behind a bunch of washers and dryers after i shoot dope i get back in his car when we're leaving we make a left and there's a cop across the street we drive by it we go up a block we make a left don't think anything of it we get about another block as we're getting closer to uh tower district And uh, I see the lights going off in the back, and I'm thinking, there's no way that's for us. Well, this car's like speeding up, pulls this over, comes up to the window and says, you got a tail light out. No. <laughs> oh my God, you must I have look been like, I look yeah. at him and I'm like, bro, well, before he pulls this over, yeah. I say, bro, you got to hide these pills, hold these pills. And he's like, no, I'm not gonna hold them. He wants to put them between the seat. I was like, listen to me, bro, I'm a felony probation. They're gonna search the car. So I say, Screw it! I'll put the pills between my ass. He says, "Anybody on felony prob- or anybody on probation or parole?" I say, "No." Thinking, okay, maybe this will work. Comes mm-hmm. back to the car. He taps on the window. He says, "Mr. Hoffman, why did you lie about me? me- lie to me about being on probation?" I said, "Well, you asked if I was on parole, not probation."
1: Honey, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: If you've ever watched cops, I mean, I, it's, they drop the crack God. pipe on the ground. That's not mine. <laughs> same, same thing. Okay. Right? You're trying anything, and yeah. he says, "Get out of the car." Well, I got these 64 pills. He searches me, he doesn't find the pills, puts me in the back of the cop car. Well, it's 1030 at night, Thanksgiving. He's trying to call my probation officer. He's like, I'm going to take you to jail for lying to me. I'm calling your probation officer right now to get permission to take you. He calls her three times. She doesn't answer. And he looks at me and he goes, Mr. Hoffman, it's your lucky night. He goes, I can't take you to jail without permission to uh, to violate your probation because lying may not be something that the probation officer wants to say, bring him in for Goes out of the car, opens up the cop car, lets me out. I walk back to the car with 64 pills between my ass, get in the car. Close call.
1: God, that's your third. Is that your second. third? S- that's your second strike? Okay. Next day
0: goes by, nothing's ha- nothing happens. The following day, I'm in a car with my girlfriend at the time, and we're going down Cedar towards mm-hmm. Shaw, right mm-hmm. past the baseball stadium. Yep. There's two cops when we get outside the Bulldog apartments, sitting next to each other, windows down, talking to each other. We change lanes. We go by them. We pass through Shaw, and we get to another 7 Seven like Eleven, right by the 7-Eleven, and the lights go off. And I'm like, what the mm-hmm. hell did we do? Mm-hmm. The cop walks up to the back of the car, pulls something off of the license plate, comes up to the, the driver's side door, and she rolls her window down, and she says, do you know the tags are fake on this car? Oh so we borrowed God. this car from a drug dealer. Yeah. They were construction paper. Mm. She says, license and registration. The girl I was with did not have her license on her. I'm searching through the glove box and the center console for uh, registration and insurance. I can't find anything. The cop then goes back to the car and says, just asks her what her name is. She gives her her name. She goes back to the car. She comes back to us and says, the car hasn't been registered in five years. There's no insurance on the car. Where did you get this? We God. borrowed it from a drug dealer. So we say, we borrowed it, she's crying, we were sh- Christmas shopping, we've got some stuff from Manchester Mall in the back, and she says, okay, sit tight. She never asks if is on parole or probation. She comes back up to the car a third time with a yellow piece of paper, hands us a fix-it ticket, says to get the car registered, get insurance for it, and take it back to the person we borrowed it from immediately. Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no that, way. That, like, never happened. There's no that way. That would never happen. I have told this in front of thousands of law enforcement mm-hmm. officers at conferences, and they, no one believes it. This I just –
1: I, I couldn't believe it because my dad is a cop, and so, like, I just – I couldn't imagine somebody doing that.
0: On this side of town either. No, no way. There's a lot of crime. Yeah. There's gangs over that, here. Well, the,
1: bull, the Bulldogs are right – you're right in that area, that gang area yes, too. Yes, yes. So.
0: so she gets in the car. The, the cop gets in the car behind us and leaves, and then I, it hit me. That was the three chances that Adam was talking about and I remember looking at my girlfriend and I was like I think I'm gonna go to prison soon and she goes what are you saying what do you mean I was like well Adam told me I was gonna get three significant chances and if I didn't stop doing what I was doing before these chances took place I was gonna go to prison and I was like I just got pulled over three times in four days I was like that's so weird don't you think and this lady's not taking the car and asking anybody who's on parole or probation. And this is the worst one of the three days, right? Like, this should have been mm-hmm. very simple. Okay, who's on parole mm-hmm. or probation? Get out of the car. We're going to arrest you, yeah. search you. I had drugs on me, needles in a backpack. She had drugs on her. No license. Like, this should have been cut and dry. <laughs> yeah,
1: slammed down. Slammed down. Take him to jail, yeah. violate
0: his probation, done deal. No. Two months later, I get invited to church by a drug dealer I was working with in the projects of West Fresno. He says, I want you to go to church with me. And I was like, okay, but um, I don't have a car and I don't even know where I'm gonna stay. I'm, I'm sleeping on the street most nights mm-hmm. at this time. And he's like, it's all right. Wherever you're at, find a phone and, and call my wife and we'll come get you. And I remember I was at a house um, and this was probably one of, uh, this was the lowest point of my life for sure. Um, I would spend so many days up, sometimes 13 days. Wow. um, Without
1: sleeping? Without sleeping, that
0: my eyes would stop working. So I couldn't see anymore, right? And I'll never forget this. Um, I was in a bathroom, and I had to have two needles loaded with heroin for me to be able to get high, two Mm -hmm. separate needles. And I have both of my arms out, and I have two different people because I can't see. Uh, They have to put the needles in my arm, and we have to count down. Three, two, one, and both people would hit the needle at the same time for me to be able to get high, right? And several hours later from that, I was sitting by myself um, at this condo against a wall on the ground. And I remembered it was Sunday. And something says, I need to call this guy. And I called him. And I was like, yeah, I'm over here. And he's like, she's on her way. She comes to pick me up, and I go to a small Pentecostal church in southeast Fresno. Um, my girlfriend ended up going at that time. Um, we were the two only two white people in there, which I, I, I felt at home with black folk. It was just kind of more, more where I felt at home. And so um, Pentecostal church, very vibrant, energetic. I don't remember anything about the service, but there was an altar call at the end. And his wife is, like, kicking me. You need to get up there. And I'm like, this isn't my church, like this is my social anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm not going up there. Don't put me in front of other people where people are looking at me. Um, She says, get up there. So I go up there and I'm thinking, okay, maybe he won't call on me. (laughs) He calls on me second. Uh (laughs) Of course.
1: Maybe he won't see me. Yeah, maybe he won't see me. Like this is,
0: I'm like, this is me. If you really knew who I am, that's me. Like, yeah. maybe they won't see me. Yeah. Maybe if I sit over in the corner and I'll hide behind people so they don't talk maybe to I'll me. Maybe I'll just get a fix-it ticket. Yes. <laughs> um, I go up there. He lays his hands on my forehead, and immediately I started crying before he ever said anything. Yeah. I can't explain what happened, but I know what happened was real. Um, he looked me deep in the eyes, and he said that um, God has favored your entire life and everything that you have done. And I remember I just kept crying and crying and crying. And then all of a sudden, like I lost my hearing. It was so weird. It was like a vacuum, I couldn't hear. And then I was like looking around and I could see these three guys that were ministers crying. Like Like I've never seen people cry like this before. And all I could hear like was in surround sound was, Praise praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. And I'm like, trying to process all of this stuff that I would have said is phony, right? There's no way that this is real. And then in my heart, I'm just like, I can't believe this is real. Like, I can't believe this is real. Like, I believe, I believe, this is real, this is real. And then all of a sudden, bam, it was like, shoo! My hearing was back and I was like, whoa. What the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. And I stepped back, and I remember sitting in a pew, and I remember just like, whoa, what happened? Like, I don't know, I, I can't explain it. And I'm thinking a miracle happened, right? Because I need a miracle at this time in my life. People don't understand, like, I had size 12 shack shoes on. Hey. I wear a size nine. Mm-hmm. I had size 34 LRG jeans on. When I was arrested, I weighed 137 pounds. I don't even wear a size 34 right now, and I'm 178 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> this guy said I'd been favored my entire life. I had a Dickies jacket on that was filled with blood from all me using needles missing and trying to clean myself off. Oh, like wow. I don't look favored. I need a miracle, Mm -hmm. and I needed God to take away the withdrawals. So I had just a small shot of getting to where I am today because the withdrawals are what kept stopping me. They were so painful. It would change my behavior. I would rob people. I would steal. I would just do these things that I didn't want to do, right? I'm thinking, there it is, my miracle. Maybe Mm -hmm. he's going to get me to a place where I don't withdraw, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to get away from this stuff. Two hours later, I was in a Toyota pickup shooting dope with the guy, Um, and I, I remember feeling defeated. Maybe it's, you know, I'm not good enough for that kind of miracle. That was January 21st, 2007. That night I broke into a house that was up for rent and 2 p.m. on January 22nd, I woke up with four cops that had their guns drawn on me and I was arrested. And I remember when I got in the back of the cop car for the first time in my life, I felt more at peace than I'd ever felt in my entire life. Wow. And I remember thinking, God was going to remove me from my addiction. And it was the first moment that, I no longer looked at life the way I used to look at it, and I was no longer looking for answers within myself. I no longer wanted answers from you. I was looking for answers from something many people in today's world say does not exist. But I needed to figure out why I was alive, what he wanted me to do, where I was supposed to go, and the only thing I can tell you is if I didn't go to prison, I was gonna die within six months of that moment. Mm -hmm. And he knew exactly what I needed. And uh, 30 days later, I was sentenced to four and a half years in prison, they violated my probation for the armed robbery charge, and uh, I was in shackles on a bus on my way to Wasco State Prison um, Wasco. to f- yeah to start my uh, to start my prison term. And I was on uh, I was in cell living, which I was grateful for. I learned a lot there, um, but when you get to cell living at Wasco, it's I, I, nobody there was I, I was a low offense. Mm-hmm. Most people were in there for attempted murder, murder, drive-by shootings, stabbings. Um, many of them weren't getting out of prison, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a scary place um, to learn about prison when you go into an environment where these these individuals have been heavily programmed by bad environments, unhealthy Mm -hmm. environments, traumatic stuff, and gangs that truly don't have a very good calibrated use of instinct.
1: How much time did you serve? Did you do the full four two and a half? Two. Two?
0: and uh, I will tell you this: I was supposed to actually do four and a quarter years. Mm. There was a mistake on my paperwork. I mean, my justification for why God is real mm-hmm. is deep beyond just that testimony. But I did two two years out of the out of the four year sentence.
1: Man, that you know, I I I can I can relate to that in so many other ways. Just even in. I think that's incredible, like God never leaves you and he never forsakes you. Right. But it feels that way in moments like that and yet that's part of the deliverance. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard to see when you're in it but then when you're out of it, you can see how all these things had to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the timing of that, the, the, and, and he, you know, he says he always like confirms his word, you know, like so that you know it's from him, mm-hmm. you know. That was so exact and so detailed. There's no way that you can deny it, and that's how God shows up. There's no way to deny it. There is no wonder. There is no disbelief. That can't exist with something that's really from him. Sure. It surpasses all understanding.
0: That's right. Yeah. Uh, f- for me, um, God's spirit or God's work didn't really have an effect in my life until I surrendered. Mm-hmm. If there was no surrender, there could be no dependence. Right. Mm-hmm. As long as I lived in self... And I went out and I chased after the things that I thought life was about, or the desires that I thought that I wanted. Then I was blocking myself from connecting to this truth. And I tried.
1: Man, sur- surrender. Is, like when you said that, I was like, oh man, that that's when things changed, isn't it? Like it's when you're no longer in control.
0: Yeah, and I did. But but I want to preface this. I didn't want control anymore. Yeah. I I was sick of trying to control things mm-hmm. because I was so miserable. And I had tried to to remove the misery in my life, the discontent, the unhappiness, the frustration, that I finally said, look, I've tried everything I think I can try. I realize I don't know anything. Maybe you can just show me what I need to do, and I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And I won't ever turn around if you just give me a direction. And that's what came to me when I was in a prison cell was— The direction that god wanted me to to take
1: how did you get that direction was that like audible for you was that just kind of an inner knowing how did you receive that information
0: this is where like i think therapy is so great right because there's a there's a huge connect or intersection between clinical therapy and faith Mm -hmm. right because there's a self-awareness component you have to be able to remove your ego you have to be able to remove distractions you have to be able to sit with yourself And then you have to be curious enough to examine yourself and the way God maybe had created you just a little bit different than maybe some other people, right? And so when I got to a prison cell, really what I was able to do was remove myself from one, a cell phone, a TV, I had to sit with my anxiety for the first time, which I could never do, and then I found out, hey, if I just sit still for long enough, I actually won't feel the way <laughs> I feel right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, crisis which only me, lasts
1: so long, right? right? <laughs> you know, yeah. as,
0: and it'll last as long as you allow it if you continue yeah. the behaviors of avoiding it, mm-hmm. right? So then when I got to this place where I was able to sit with myself, I started asking myself the, this really important question, and that is, who am I? Like, if I'm not an athlete, that's what I do, and I'm not this person, who people think I am, then who am I? Mm -hmm. At the foundation, who am I and what am I good at without ever having to really think about being good at? Because what I needed to know was emotionally, what are the qualities that make Tony, Tony? Mm -hmm. You can put me anywhere in this world, I tell people that come to my treatment center, I don't care if you blow this entire facility up. Today, I promise you, if you follow me, I'll take you north because Mm -hmm. I know where north is today. Mm -hmm. But I had to sit with myself and ask myself, who am I emotionally? What are my needs there? And then who am I with my gifts? Because my gifts have an intersection with my, my experiences and what I can provide for the world. And then I started to realize the reason that I was alive was to take the gifts that I had with sports, to take the gift I had with communication, and to give it to the world to try and make it a better place. To work with individuals that suffered the way I did internally and found relief in drugs that turned into addiction that became a self-destructive pattern that they couldn't get themselves out of. And so I really started to look at myself when I was in that cell and say, how can I remove all self-glorification and figure out who I am from there and then how do I give that to others? Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of me going from a very selfish Tony to a very selfless Tony. And those testimonies that come to me, like at the gym one time, had a guy who go, dude, you were such an asshole in high school. Like you were so arrogant. Like, I couldn't stand being around you. And that was great for me to hear because I was. I was arrogant. I thought I was the shit. I thought I was untouchable. But then when I allowed God to work in my life, I realized I'm nobody without him. And the only reason that I'm here today is because of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to give me an opportunity to go and live a life outside of myself which meant everything I do, everything that happens comes back to me and how I can examine that in myself and then what I can do to make the world a better place as a result of what I've learned about myself and the gifts that I have.
1: I mean, I, I think that's probably why God has blessed you so much, you know, is because you have a very selfless way of going about life and you know, we're all here to serve. It's not about us. None of it's it's all about it's it's all about him. Mhm and it's about glorifying him and it's about dying to yourself and those are really difficult concepts when when we leave when we live in such an like egocentric society and everything kind of promotes that you know i think you know it's really impressive too to hear somebody like yourself talk about faith and be so open about that because i think that that's something that is really kind of shunned and frowned on it's not something that a lot of people are open to and yet you give all the credit and all the glory to god and i think that that's I think that's incredible. Do you like? What's your relationship like with him now? Do you talk on the daily? Like, what what, oh, yeah. what does that look I'm, like?
0: I'm f- I'm very weird, I guess you could say, about my faith, because mm-hmm. um, it's not driven by uh, belief systems. My family, in, you know, basically inherited through some type of ritual or system or tradition mm-hmm. that I was raised in, right? And so I had to seek out that relationship while I was in prison. And the number one thing I had to learn to do was pray mm-hmm. and meditate. And that's a very confusing concept for individuals because what do I say and, and what does meditation look like? And I always try to tell people, you don't have to cross your feet mm-hmm. and you're, put your hands up like this. Um, you don't have to pray for something specific. But it's really about having a conversation about or with this individual or this thing that exists and reflecting back on yourself. And one of the ways that I do this most is in a car. I rarely listen to music in a car. Um, I'm very, very disciplined when it comes to just keeping the, the music off. Now, if I'm dating somebody, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking because mm-hmm. it's like, yo, why are we sitting in this car right now <laughs> with no music on? Like, This is kind of weird. Right, yeah, um, sure. And, and I have to try and find the middle ground in that because while I'm in the car, I'm actually talking, praying. I'll see homeless people. I pray for them. I think to myself, God, I wonder what their story is. Um, and I have this constant... Oh, I just
1: remembered something
0: Um, and so that for me is my big moment I start my day um, I do a lot of journaling I became a big journaler Mm -hmm. for many many years I woke up every single day and I wrote a letter to God Mm. about where I'm at these things that I desire the things that um, I hope that he can use me in and a lot of it is about make me a useful tool for you. Help me through this situation that I'm in. I'm frustrated. I would spend a lot of time writing about my feelings because I was very, had a low, low EQ for a long time. Yeah. Um, so having to do that, I would write my feelings out and so forth. So it's really a constant contact for me um, because I'm really against religion. Mm-hmm. I'm really like anti-religion. Well, re-
1: religion, I think this is where people kind of get confused sometime because the church hurt can hurt a lot of people. I know it's it's there for good and I'm not trying to knock the church, but the church is run by men. Sure. Faith is God. It's just it's a personal relationship with God, and it's it's hard when you see men that are flawed and and we're all sinful, um, doing things that are representing and they they serve as a representation of God. It's easy to associate God with something like that when really like humans are humans. You can love God and still sin. That's right. You know, but your relationship with God is something completely
0: different. And faith is the number one thing um, that really is what creates such a beautiful thing with God. And the church, in my opinion, will rob individuals of their faith because it teaches you to stay in this box. You You have to be here for God to work. Don't Uh, go out there. Spend your money here. Go on our ministry trip. Go to the Dominican Republic with us. Don't think about what God wants you to do that may not actually be with them because God has a ministry for each and every person. It's up to you to accept that role and then go out and let him... Grow whatever it is that you're doing and build up to this thing where you're like, you know what? It's God. It can't be me. Yeah.
1: You know, a pivotal point, I think, in my life where my faith really dropped was in church, actually. I was raised in the church. My dad was on the worship team. I was there every motherfucking day. Yeah. And I remember I went up for healing one day. I had like a cold sore or something like that. And, you know, the faith of a child, you know. And they were calling kids up to go get healed. And I was like, all right, well, I want this shit off my lips." So <laughs> so I went up there. And I remember the pastor. Um, and I was also bullied by the pastor's daughters as well. So that it was hard for me. And they robbed me of my money as well. They took my money from me. <clears throat> so it was a tough environment to begin with. But I was going up. I was asking for healing. And uh, they have, like, the ushers behind you ready to catch you when you fall. So, like, where I was raised, you lay hands on people, you fall down, the spirit of God it's hits like you. It's like the Benny Hinn thing. Yeah, that's where, that's, I, I grew up in a kind of wacky church. I yeah. saw some crazy shit, you know, yeah. but nonetheless, I don't know, you know, you're, I'm, fucking heal me. I want this shit off my lips. So yeah. um, I go up there for healing and the pastor comes up, touches me on the forehead, but I don't fall down and I see a string of kids and everybody's falling, 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 right? And they have a little one to catch you and the other one to put the blanket over your, you know, dress or whatever. And you know, when he came up to me, I didn't fall down because I was waiting for the spirit of God to hit me. Yeah. You know, I wasn't like I didn't fall down. And he goes, and he kept doing this, and I was like, I'm ready. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, and and then I remember the pastor said this to me, and he goes, lie down. And I it broke me. That moment broke me. And I remember I lied down and I remember I was staring up at the ceiling, I remember looking this way. And looking this way, and everybody's there, and I was like, it's either one of two things: God's not real, or He didn't heal me, or He chose not to heal me. And that was when my faith really Your started cold to break. <laughs> yeah, well, That's I mean, a cold <laughs> yeah, but like in in but the, it's those things, right? Like when when you grow up in an environment where God is God is a healer, and you're going up there for healing, you think something is wrong with you when something doesn't work. And I see an audience of everybody getting healed and touched by the power of God, right? So when you, in a child's mind, you can't really rationalize that, and there were other things that were happening too that obviously added to a break in my faith as mm-hmm. well. But the church was a big part of that. Now I had to really reconcile that with my relationship with God, and that was very tough because the I was fact like, I, you
0: did is amazing."
1: Yeah, I did not want to go back, and I still kind of have a, a, a arm's length relationship with church. Sometimes,
0: same.
1: Still, it's hard for me. Still, I don't um, blame you.
0: I, I. I People that come to me i have a guy right now yeah. that comes to me went through my treatment center yeah. and i'm trying to reprogram the god guilt that was given yeah. to him through um faulty church practices mm-hmm. right and i'm like bro stop reading the bible and he's like bro this doesn't sound like something god would tell somebody and i'm like i'm trying to teach you faith The greatest characters in the bible practice faith and they were rebels they were every person looked at them and thought that there was something wrong with them but what they were doing was something that god called them to do i was like what i need you to learn is that god will provide you just need to go So stop reading the word because every time you do, you condemn yourself, Mm -hmm. and that's not how God works. He's not well. The
1: the Holy Spirit will convict, you know, the you know the enemy or whatever you want to. That that will condemn, right? Sure. spirit of condemnation is never from God.
0: Right. The conviction and condemnation are two different components, right? You can feel convicted, and that's God saying, hey, let's work this area. And there's no shame in
1: that, right? Right? Yeah, Yeah.
0: the condemning is what disconnects you from the truth and the the empowerment or the power that you would get from God's spirit. You know, I
1: I, always—I look at the characters in the Bible, and they were a band of misfits, Yep. And so was Jesus. I love the story of him turning over the money tables. I was like, "Fuck yeah, he was pissed." <laughs> you yeah, know? Like yeah, I I love that, you know. And uh, that's the company that he kept. He was he wasn't for religion either. He he wasn't for the mockery of the Pharisees or anything like that. Like he he would rather hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors. That's why you know? I can't
0: jive with uh, Christians that say gays are going to hell. I just, I, I that has it. never
1: sat well with me, man. Never. I just, I couldn't, I can't think of a God like I couldn't, I could never reconcile that. Like, a God that wouldn't love them just as equally. Like, and if, and if he views all sin as the same, yeah, then I, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, those are deep mechanics,
1: right? I know. We won't touch on an that. Well, we'll switch gears that on itself, that for sure. I, I'm not a biblical scholar at all. <laughs> I did read the Bible yeah. cover to cover, though, yes. but I have never. Yeah, I did. In two thousand and six, that was when I really started going like all in with God. I had and then I like fell away again. I think after you know, God really showed up I've heard God. Like God is God has given me dreams from a young child and then I've also heard him audibly as well. Um so no, I'm not schizophrenic. <laughs> right, there's a
0: difference. There is a difference. Um,
1: but yeah, like um and I remember uh, you know, When I got, uh, when my ex-husband was leaving me, um, he, I got very clear instruction on what to do, which is part of why I have the successful business that I have now is because I used what he told me then Mm -hmm. and I apply it with people now that are dealing with people that are unhealthy or narcissistic. Mm -hmm. And he told me number one, don't defend yourself. And I had no idea what that meant. I was, all these things were happening and he's like, don't defend yourself. Number two, when he was, we were in an argument one time And he was going through, he was already divorcing me and whatever, but he was just kind of trying to rattle me or whatever, and we were in an argument. And I almost had this kind of of out-of-body experience where I was looking at him and I was seeing myself and very clearly I heard this. I wonder where you're going to be a year from today. Calm, calm and soft. And I was like, yeah, I wonder where. Hmm. And there's chaos happening in front of me. A year from that day, I moved to Vegas. And I hadn't planned that. Even that, even that was absolutely crazy. I wasn't licensed here. God got me a job out here as a therapist not being licensed. I was under there doing programming. I I had a different date that I was scheduled to move out with the apartment that I wasn't gonna be available to that date. It wasn't until I was in my apartment all by myself, all moved in that I was like, what date is it today? And I was like, oh my God, it's one year ago to the day and you know and there was so much that happened with that where i could look back on something incredibly painful and i could see how he was there with me the entire time and not only was he there with me the entire time that way was already made oh yeah already made already set up for me and so i so when you share stories like that about his you know involvement the whole way i hope that that gives people comfort to know that even though it looks so messy even though it looks so dark if you are a person of faith, and you're you're ready and open, there He will make a way where there is no way, and you yeah. don't have to figure out the chaos. He will do it for you.
0: That was the har- the hardest lesson for me to learn, but that was the most beautiful thing about my transformation. Was uh, I got to a place where people are like, "I just you're so optimistic," mm-hmm. and it really is because there's no other option. Am I going to doubt God? He's taken me and delivered me from. Literally the depth of hell, and almost killing myself. Mm-hmm. So, if I blow my knee out and I lose my professional racing career, there's clearly a reason for it. It wasn't because I'm not ever supposed to be successful. It's not because I'm not good enough. It's because this wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, and that this is my cue to change directions, right? There were, I had this ability to then take these things that were negative or these situations that I would go through and completely implode from, you know, not being able to regulate myself emotionally or just having an absolute negative pessimistic victim mindset to where now it's like, okay, let me sit, take a step back. Let me see how this plays out over time and just do what I know I need to do. Or in the program of recovery, we say just do the next indicated right thing. And eventually, you'll get to a place where you look back and you say, "This too shall pass." And everything had its purpose and got you to a place that you were in a much better position than you were before. And that is how you increase your faith.
1: So, I, I love that. I think I think it's very helpful to kind of break things, you know, down. And faith also also comes by hearing, hearing yep. people speak about it as well. Sure. I I remember you wanting to go to the Olympics. Yep. Um, for yourself, right? And you kind of have a story around that because you did end up going.
0: Yes, Uh, not the way I thought. I thought I was going to get there as an athlete. When I was in prison, I started getting strong visions of getting back on my bicycle, starting a program for kids, going to the Olympics and telling my story. And the Olympic one was obviously the one I liked the most because it felt like this really cool Lance Armstrong, Josh Hamilton comeback story where there's a lot of praise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of like the idea of that, so to speak, uh, in, in regards to I was going to have a platform to tell people about what God was doing and how he delivered me from where I was to get me to where I'm at. And my, was almost my third year back on my bicycle, second year, uh, at the end of my second year, I was racing at the Olympic level. I was doing very well. I thought I was gonna get my first top three in Orlando, Florida with the best in the world. So I came back to BMX within uh, a year, I had made it to the highest level of racing pro. I'm now racing the highest level and this guy that went to the Olympics in 2012 crashed me. And I almost shattered my shin snapped my ACL, Mm -hmm. obliterated my knee. I needed knee surgery and it became a career-ending injury. And I remember thinking to myself, there goes my dream. And I knew I loved helping people and I was really good at coaching. So I started coaching people and I started pursuing that. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I can become good enough at coaching that I can just get there as a coach. And to me, I felt like that would be um, equally as special as making it as an athlete. And sure enough, you know, I spent a lot of energy learning how to coach. I had some great mentors that taught me a different idea when it came to um, using technology to train athletes, which at that time was new for BMX racing. And uh, within four years, I had coached two world champions, three national champions. I have a wall of jerseys in my house from athletes from the UK, Czech Republic, um, Bolivia, uh, Australia, United States, Um, very decorated athletes. Um, I coached a guy for couple of years that was on a McDonald's Cup, a Hershey's rapper, an Olympic athlete, coached a guy from um, Ecuador that was a two-time Olympian himself and and then Brooke Crane, who was my top female athlete, uh, she made the Olympic Games in mm-hmm. 2016 and that was my, my ticket to the Olympics was uh, through the gift of Brooke. And we spent you know every day together. For a long time, there was a lot of discontention with the girl that I was dating at that time that, mm-hmm. you know, she thought we were having a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, ended up being a lesbian and I'd like,
1: <laughs> like, see? Yeah, I told you, like, I mean, you don't have to worry
0: about this. Um, but, you know, when I got there, obviously I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. Like, I'm writing my letters to God at this time on the beach in Rio de Janeiro and... I actually don't know what's next after that because I became a professional athlete. I started a nonprofit called the Free Will Project that was very successful for several years and uh, at that time I was now coming into becoming one of the top substance use and mental health speakers in the country and I went to the Olympics. The four things that I felt God was telling me he was going to do for me if I surrendered and just followed his his direction and then it was like I don't have any visions anymore Like, I don't have this new feeling in me that's like, go. And so I remember feeling like, well, what's next? And I just remember thinking, like, all I have is speaking. I think I just need to keep doing that. And then I met a guy who uh, was a very successful speaker for many years named Chris Heron, former NBA guy, played basketball at Fresno State where we grew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met with him, and he said, uh, are you married? And I said, no, I'm not. And he's like, you got a girlfriend? And I was like, no, nah, I don't. And he's like, well, you're never going to get married. You're never going to have a girlfriend if you keep traveling 250 <laughs> days a year. Yeah. This yeah. was great, though, because mm-hmm. God used him to do something in me. And I was like, Chris, I don't have anything else. Mm-hmm. This is my life. And I'm okay doing this, right? Like, I, I love doing what I do as a speaker. But I do see that this is not going to work in the long term, right? And he was like, this is what you're supposed to do. And I was at his treatment center. He was starting to phase out speaking and spend time helping individuals like ourselves that struggle Mm -hmm. with addiction. He started his own treatment center. And that was what started the new vision. Oh, I can start a treatment center. Mm -hmm. And I can continue to do the work that I do helping other people and sharing my gifts with individuals. And two years later, uh, I, this guy was, like, chasing me around. I had him on my podcast. He's, like, calling me. It's during the pandemic or whatever, and I'm, like, trying to move to Texas. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to answer this guy's call.
1: Yeah.
0: I answered it finally, and he's like, bro, I'm trying to start a treatment center. I said, well, I'll connect you with somebody. And he's like, no, nah, we're going to start a treatment mm-hmm. center. And I was like, no, nah, dude, like, I'm trying to save my own money and do this. I don't want anybody mm-hmm. to tell me what to do. And he was like, just fly out to California and talk to me. And I said, all right. Uh, that's Matt Paws, my business partner. PH Wellness is the treatment center that's been open now for a year and a half. Um, Paws Hoffman, it's a play on words. Mm-hmm. Our uh, our saying is find your balance. PH oh, I wellness. love that. That's yes. so cool. That's clever. Um, yeah. We have a stabilization uh, addiction treatment center in Riverside County. We're uh, licensed for 12 beds. We just bought another house to add six more beds. So we do detox and. Uh, residential treatment, which is like the first 30 days. And uh, so now I see myself slowing down, speaking over the next two years, and spending more time kind of starting this brand, which I wanna take around the country to make a, uh, what I tell people is the McDonald's or rehabs. I wanna make something where you know what you're gonna get uh, anywhere you go, and uh, something that has high quality care with clinicians that have a very good understanding of addiction and how to help people heal from root causes and traumas that give people, in my opinion, a really good reason to go use drugs because a lot of people don't know the stories of individuals that get hooked on drugs. I know.
1: I think, it's, I think it's really easy to judge somebody that is, that is an addict because you're looking at the behavior, but you can't see what's past the behavior.
0: Sure. And that's, you know, I spent a lot of time in healthcare even saying, you know, any idea that you have preconceived about an individual that struggled with addiction is not your own thought. It's not. It was a belief system that somebody gave to you. It was your mother, your father, a cop, what you thought or heard somebody else say, then you took that, accepted that as a core value and belief for those type of individuals, and then you just used that against them without ever knowing. The guy that came to my treatment center that started using drugs at 12 years old was tied to the front of his bed by his stepmother, Mm -hmm. stripped naked, turned the AC on as cold as it could get, and if this poor eight-year-old boy actually went to sleep, she poured ice-cold water on him, tortured him, why? Because his dad was using meth and would leave the house. So she'd take it out on this poor boy Mm -hmm. who the first time he felt relief was a bottle of alcohol at 12 years old. It's those stories you don't think would ever happen. Well, he has a really good reason to drink alcohol, in my opinion, because what happened to him is something I could never even fathom. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad have been married 47 years. Mm -hmm. But I'm grateful today that um, I get to share what I've learned um, with a lot of people and, and my experience of my faith when people call on and ask about my faith and how much God has really done in my life.
1: Well Tony, I think um, I think your st- like I'm so glad that you came today because like I, I could I could ask you so many other questions cuz I know you've got you're so rich with information and you're such a, you, you have a way of translating that across like in, an audience that I think is easy to digest but also very like palpable like it sinks in like people know the truth when they hear it and there's something very like real um and calming when you speak. Um Thank and I you. think that you've given a lot of people hope you know, today.
0: Thanks.
1: Well, can you tell everybody where they can find you, what you're up to?
0: Yeah, you can find me on social media, Tony M Hoffman on Instagram, Tony M Hoffman on TikTok. I don't use TikTok that, that much right now. Uh, Tony Hoffman Speaking is my website. PH Wellness is our drug and alcohol treatment facility. And people can
1: book you for speaking oh, events they can book there. me for speaking
0: events. If they reach out to me on social media, as you know, I, I it's not just you I reply to. And I tell the kids when, they mess, uh, when I finish the speech, you send me a DM, I promise you I'll reply.
1: You know, uh-huh. I, can, I can totally, like, back that up. I, want, I have to tell you this story, but I know, okay, we're, I no, know no. we're, like, leaving, but you never knew this, okay? <laughs> so I um, Fresno is a small town, and your ex-girlfriend at a time had, had relayed a story to me. We had, like, a, a connection. She didn't directly say it to me, but it trickled back to me because I had a very close connection to her. And she told me, you know, one day she saw you pay for a homeless man's hotel room one day. And then she said she watched to see if you would tell anybody, promote it on Instagram, anything. And she said that he did nothing. And she said he does that all the time.
0: Yeah, I don't really like to talk about it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of chokes me up.
1: well, I want to acknowledge that. Thank you. If you, you won't. <laughs>
0: no, I, I just...
1: <laughs> because I think I think that that, like... I just want to help people. Yeah, I know. I know. And I think it's important. Like, I share that story because... Um, that's what really that's what really should be on your instagram highlight is stuff like that and i understand why you don't post about it i understand why you don't boast about it and i know i know that's the servant's heart like you know god is the one that will acknowledge you and bring you up for that but you're here so i want to do it too um (laughs) (laughs) thank you seriously you know like i I
0: just there's parts of things that i feel people don't need to know that i'm doing those things because it has to be out of a pureness right i don't want. People to applaud, but it you for was things. it was
1: it is pure and. But and I, I remember also, that night, by the way. That yeah. I thought, do you know the raining. night that I'm? Yeah.
0: It was raining. Um, I'll never forget it. They were pushing a shopping cart, and I thought to myself, "I just, I need. We need to go get him a hotel."
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all those things come back around, and even though it's probably been ten plus years since that happened, oh, yeah. I never forgot that. And I think God probably does want you to be acknowledged from that because He saw it. I never forgot it, and so you know, I'm it, glad
0: that was a good rumor because I got a lot of <laughs> shit that's behind me that I carry around. We could I mean, I felt like too. I felt I, like you were like, oh God, what is she gonna no, say right no. now? <laughs> oh, we could have brought it all up, you know, but I. I you know what? I Of I pre- I all the things that get brought up, I'm glad that that does because, you know what? I'm not perfect. Um, but I really, too, try to just do my best and help as many people as I can along the way. You know?
1: I know. And none of us are perfect, and we no. all fall short. But, you know, it's, it's what you do with it. And, and what matters most is your heart and your intent. That's always... Always the thing that God sees and what matters most. Well, Tony, I want to thank you so much for traveling from Texas to Vegas. It was like a little high school reunion, yes. kind of, oh, but no. like really the first time I'm actually really getting to speak <laughs> with you on this level. So thank you. Thank you for ministering to my life and 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 to the lives of those that you've blessed. Until next time, guys, catch the pink pill.